As uh, JP said, my name is Callum. I've been part of the evening meeting here for about four and a half years now. Um, I live over in Lenton with some lovely guys. Um, some have turned out tonight. And um, I lead a home group with Ashley, who I don't actually think is here tonight, or we probably would have heard her. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if you've not been along to a home group, we really would love to see you at a, a group. And if you can't do a Thursday, well, we meet on Wednesdays. Um, um, we have lovely snacks, although lemon Doritos, apparently not the ones. So. Um, tonight, we're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. After a week off for our week of worship, prayer, and fasting, which we call Deeper. And one of my highlights of the week was I worked just around the corner and was able to come in in my lunch break and just sort of sit and pray just however I felt prompted to. And it's just a really nice time to enjoy God's presence and slow down. So, so far in Hebrews, we've seen in chapter one that Jesus is fully God. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That Jesus is fully man in chapter 2, that he's made like his brothers in every respect, and that Jesus is better than the angels. And tonight we're going to pick it up in chapter 3, reading verses 1 to 6. So if you've got a Bible, it'd be great for you to turn there. Uh, keep it in front of you because we'll be referring it back to it quite a lot. Um, but the words will be on the screen too. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is what it says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let me just pray before we start. Jesus, we look again to you, the one who is greater than all others. We fix our eyes on you again and say that you are truly exalted to the highest place and given the name above all other names that every knee may bow and every tongue may confess that you are Lord. And we pray, come and be Lord of our lives this evening. Come and uh, meet with us now as we look at who you are. Amen. The book of Hebrews is not an easy book. And last year I was an intern in the church and once a month on a Tuesday afternoon we'd gather as interns and we'd look at the book of Hebrews. And I personally spent the time coming up with what I think were particularly great jokes uh, because it was easier to do that than to sort of actually try and understand what's going on. And um, the jokes were so good that I've now forgotten them all. So I won't be able to share them with you tonight, but perhaps some of the other interns might remember them. Um, and you may be wondering, well, if this book is hard, why do I have to grapple with it? I'm not a first century Jewish Christian struggling uh, with persecution for my newfound faith. Well, wherever you come from, I'm really glad that you're here. The Bible makes clear that as we delve into it, we are changed, 
that looking at who Jesus is transforms us to be more like him. Now, unlike most preachers or brief exhortations, Hebrews doesn't start with a greeting. There's no kind of like, hello. And here in chapter 3, we, are first, um, we first see the uh, writer address the audience. He says, therefore, holy brothers. And last time we heard that Jesus makes us holy and he makes us brothers. Now the writer addresses the sanctified community of believers, holy brothers. And it's just worth mentioning that the book of Hebrews doesn't really have any time for individualism. You won't find any I, me, mine here, but it's addressed to a group of people. And he goes on, he says, You who share in the heavenly calling, that's just to be called from heaven, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And that sounds clear enough to us. You know, it's an imperative verb that the author uses. It tells us what to do. But there's more to it. How do we consider Jesus? Well, to consider something has more deliberate consequences than merely thinking about something. You know, I think about a piece of music, and I consider listening to it. I think about a book, and I consider reading it. And Jesus uses this word too. He says, consider the birds, consider the flowers. How much more will your Father in heaven feed you, clothe you? It carries more weight. It's to apply one's mind diligently to something, expressing attention and continuous observation. And to truly consider Jesus, we need to know about him. And to help us see how much better Jesus is, the writer brings in a new character, and that's Moses. Now, I wonder, for you, is there anyone sort of in history or a famous person nowadays that you look up to some kind of inspirational figure, a great leader. Could be Winston Churchill or the Queen, you know, um, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Beyonce. Um, <laughs> now, take the person that you look up to and times it by a lot, and you might feel a similar way to the way the Jewish people would feel about Moses. And perhaps tonight you're unsure of who Moses is. You think, well, who's this guy, and why is he so important? Moses is first introduced to us in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, and we preached for it last year, as the guy who's chosen to lead God's people out of slavery to the Egyptians and bring them to the edge of the land that God had promised to give them with all kinds of weird and wacky adventures happening on the way. Now, as a side note, the book of Hebrews is full of references to the Old Testament. You have seen some so far, and there's a lot more to come. And the more familiar we are with the Old Testament, the more it can help us to understand what we read here, as well as the rest of the New Testament. A friend of mine recently said to me, we were having dinner, he said, Callum, I've been trying to read the Old Testament. I got halfway through Exodus. It got hard. Well, what do I do? And my encouragement to him was to keep going, to persevere, get familiar with it, it will bless you. It will show you so much of who God is. I want to encourage you to find a way that you can systematically read through the entire Bible, not just your favorite bits here and there, and it will change your life. And when it does get hard, there are plenty of resources out there to help you. We put on our social media the Bible Project video for the book of Hebrews, and they do one for each book of the Bible. So Moses is introduced to us. And he's introduced to us as the one that the Jews hold in the highest regard. 
the commentator William Lane says it is difficult to exaggerate the importance of Moses in Judaism. And we see this too in the Gospels, you know, the narratives of Jesus' time on earth. The Jewish religious leaders, they come up to him and they'd say, well, Moses says this, what do you say? Or Moses wrote this thing, what do you think about it? What we're not doing here is comparing someone bad with someone good, but we're comparing someone very good to someone even better, giving that person even more glory. And to make the comparison, the writer uses two titles, and these are apostle and high priest. Don't worry too much about the of our confession part. Your version may say who we confess or whom we acknowledge as. Normally when we talk about confession, it's kind of like owning up to something. You may say, well, I left that pan out on the side because I was in a hurry. I'm not looking at any of my housemates or former <laughs> housemates. Or it could be, I am part of the youth team here at the church, and sometimes, very occasionally, I might have to confess that I cheated just a little bit in a game. <laughs> here, however, it's talking about a kind of confession of faith, a confession of what we believe. In some churches, it's part of their liturgy every week, the way they do their meeting to sort of read together what they believe. They say, we believe these things, we confess them to be true. So what this sentence means is, consider Jesus, who we believe is the apostle and high priest. An apostle in this context, it's not really a word we use very often. It means someone who has been sent, and not just sent for the sake of going somewhere, but sent with a purpose, with a mission to complete. When um, Moses was sent by God, God says to him, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people out of Egypt. He was sent on a mission. And during my first year of university, I was part of the uni orchestra. I was made to. I was a music student. It's what we had to do. And we were playing this piece called A Child of Our Time. It's this big piece. It was amazing by the British composer Michael Tippett. And interspersed throughout it were these five uh, songs, essentially called spirituals. And the choir would sing them. And there was one that stood out to me, because at the start of each of these spirituals, it would say a spiritual. But there was one that said a spiritual of anger. And this one was called Go Down Moses. And the choir, they were all there behind me, and they would sing the words. I won't actually sing them to you. Although, actually, um, Chris Marsh over there on the sound, he was in the choir. So um, if you want a lovely bass rendition afterwards, I'm sure he'd be happy to oblige. Um, they sang the words, Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt land. Tell all pharaohs to let my people go. And the orchestra would get louder and louder, and there was this counter melody in the trumpet, and it'd be really angry. I was playing this monster of an instrument called the contrabassoon, which I didn't really know how to play. And the um, conductor in one rehearsal, he kept shouting at me, he'd go, more contra, more contra, I'm blowing as hard as I can, but I can't get any more out. That's the kind of anger he wanted to get across. Um, you may be more familiar with the film The Prince of Egypt and that plague song, I, I had to rewatch it on YouTube today. It's about three million views. Um, and uh, the Moses and Pharaoh, they're singing, they're singing, it's getting louder and louder and angrier and angrier, culminating this big, let my people go. And this is often our idea of Moses when we think about him. We think about him as a confident man who commands Pharaoh to let my people go. Whereas the reality is, 
He didn't believe he could do it. He asked, who am I that I should go? And God in his grace revealed to Moses who he is, and Moses was faithful to the mission that God had given him. Now consider Jesus. He was sent on a bigger mission to save the world. And he came willingly because he wanted to and with great joy. And he knew exactly who was sending him. He says so often, I know where I've come from, I know where I'm going, and I know who has sent me. Next, the author describes Jesus as the high priest. But again, let's look at Moses first. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might be thinking, well, I thought the first official high priest was Moses' brother Aaron, which is true. But the Bible, too, describes Moses as a priest. In Psalm 99, we read, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. And the priests were people who would mediate between man and God, and Moses occupies a special place among God's people as his people's most effective intercessor. God says of Moses in the book of Numbers, he, Moses, is faithful in all my house, which the writer to Hebrews is alluding to here. He says, with him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses enjoyed great intimacy with God. The commentator William Lane says, Moses is the supreme example of perfection in the sense of immediacy and access to God. But again, consider Jesus. Looking to him, we see the one who knew perfect fellowship with God from before the foundation of the world. As we hear him pray in what is actually called his high priestly prayer, and he is the perfect mediator between God and man, being himself fully God and fully man. Jesus is the apostle who has been sent from God and the high priest who represents God to the people and the people to God. Now, what are we to make of all of this talk of a house? We've got just six verses here, and the word house comes up seven times in them. Now, I love a good word, and the word house can mean many different things in different contexts. You know, most of the time we talk about a house, we mean a building that someone lives in. When I finish here tonight, I will go home to my house and hopefully to bed pretty quick. Um, before I moved to Nottingham, I used to babysit for some friends sometimes. And I remember one time, it was a Saturday night, and they lived in a little village outside my town. It's quite quiet and peaceful. And as the kids slept, I was really looking forward to watching my favorite Saturday night TV program, which is obviously um, Casualty on the BBC. <laughs> and just as the parents were leaving, they said to me, well, if you like Casualty, you should consider watching House. And I found myself sat on their sofa watching Hugh Laurie going around as an American doctor, being pretty suave in a hospital. I, I didn't enjoy it as much. Um, <laughs> again, school might come to mind, and if you were like me, you were assigned to a house of like a random group of people that got put together against other random groups of people, um, taking part in all kinds of competitions, just for the sake of it. And um, one of my highlights of... Um, <laughs> One of my highlights of primary school was in year six, I led my house to victory in interhouse spelling. <laughs> with, um... Just wait for it, wait for it. With um, a correct spelling of the word aerodynamic. I'm not, I'm not even a scientist. Um, 
Finally, a last uh, way we could be talking about the word house is when we refer to like a royal house. You know, the house of Windsor, the house of Tudor, the house of Stuart. In one of my favorite parts of the Old Testament, uh, the king of Israel at the time, a guy called David, he says to God, God, I want to build you a house. And then God turns around and says to David, he goes, no, David, I want to build you a house. And what David means is he wants to build God like a physical dwelling place for him. And God wants to build David a dynasty of kings that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. The theologian Tom Wright tells us that for most first century Jews, remember that Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, the idea of God's house would make them think of the physical temple in Jerusalem. Here, however, the author is not referring to a building made of bricks and mortar, but a community of people. And with this in mind, we remember Moses as part of God's people. He's faithful in leading them, but he's still a member of the community. Jesus, however, is the one who made the house. We heard in chapter 1 that through Jesus, God created the world. And this is attested for all throughout the New Testament. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And this kind of makes sense to us, you know, in a logical way, you know. Without Beethoven, there's no Ninth Symphony. Without Da Vinci, there's no Mona Lisa. Without Tolstoy, you don't get any war and peace. The creator is worthy of more glory than the creative thing. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as God has more honor than the universe he created. And these Jewish Christians, they were kind of tempted because of the suffering they were facing to turn back to Moses. They were tempted to turn from the creator to the creature. Now you might be sat there thinking, aha, I am not tempted to turn back to Moses. Everything is good it's for me. <laughs> but I want to ask you, what is your Moses equivalent? What creative thing are you tempted to turn back to when things get hard. Students and young people, when exams and deadlines come, are you tempted to overwork, to worry, to neglect meeting with your brothers and sisters at church, as is the habit of some? Remember, Jesus is better. Keep going with him. Know the fullness of joy that is found in his presence. For others of us, it may be the security that payday brings. If I have enough money, I'll be fine, I'll be secure. But let me tell you, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where things break and get stolen, but know the joy and freedom that comes of giving cheerfully towards the building of the church, the house. Why not consider partnering with Grace Enterprises as they look for 100 people to give £10 a month to their work in transforming lives? For others of us, it might be Netflix. It might be your bed in the morning, or you know, one game of FIFA quickly become about 17. <laughs> now, the Bible it encourages us to rest well. Rest is a good thing. But just a glance at the book of Proverbs will remind us that we are not to be idle. Remember, Jesus is better. 
And I know it's hard. I've found it so much harder since finishing university to carve out a decent time for Jesus in the morning. But when I do, it's so much better for my day. Make time for him in the morning. Or perhaps you have some availability in the week. Why not come and get involved in serving our city? During my time at uni as a music student, I was fortunate to have lots of time on my hands. And um, I used to love serving our city through the social hub here. Why not get involved? Stick around after the meeting, go upstairs and hear uh, from some great people about how you can be involved there. But maybe you don't have time during the week, but you could serve once a month on our kids' work, which we've heard about already, and get to know some of our kids, some of our wider church family in the morning meetings. They don't actually bite, and they're really great. <laughs> get involved. Remember, Jesus is better as Christians, because of what he has done for us, we have new desires. We have a new heart that finds its delight in serving him and his church. But don't just take my word for it, but taste and see it for yourself. Now, moving on, the author uses one final comparison between Jesus and Moses. And this is the title that they have within the house. Moses is described as a servant, and Jesus as a son. And to illustrate the difference between a servant and a son, I want to take you to fictional Yorkshire and some quite massive spoilers for Downton Abbey. <laughs> so in the first series, we're introduced to Tom Branson as the family's chauffeur. He eats with the servants, he has servants' quarters, does servanty things. However, big spoiler, Upon falling in love with Lady Sybil and eventually marrying her, he now has a place of a son in the household. He eats upstairs with the family. As a chauffeur, he is faithful to his service. As a son, he is faithful to his new role. Likewise, Moses is described as faithful, and so is Jesus, but the son has a superior rank to the servant. The father has appointed the son to rule over the household in which the servant is a part of. Finally, we, as Christians, are described as his house, part of the family, the redeemed community of God. But who are we in the house? Servants, brothers, sons? Well, in a way, we're all free. We're called to serve one another, this church, our city, but our identity is not found in being a servant, but a son brothers together in one family, with Jesus, the son, our older brother, who has brought us into the house. And as part of the household, we're called to persevere. The first of a number of references to perseverance in the book of Hebrews comes at the end of our passage. How are we to persevere? Well, with confidence and hope. These are the hallmarks of the members of God's house. And this is not an arrogant confidence, but one firmly grounded in a sure and steadfast hope. It is a cheerful celebration, a boasting in something we know to be true that doesn't come from our own achievements, but has everything to do with God. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But perhaps tonight you wouldn't call yourself a Christian you wouldn't be able to say that you can boast in Jesus. You aren't really sure that he is better. 
Well, I want to reiterate that you're very welcome with us. And we'd love to chat with you afterwards and invite you to our upcoming Alpha course. But for those of us who are Christians, who know Jesus personally, let us make our boast in him. Hold on to this hope that we have. See that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer, no matter how good it may be. Let us walk with confidence in the knowledge of who we are as part of God's house, sons and daughters, redeemed and made holy by him. And let us hold on to hope, believing the promises of God for our lives and knowing the certainty and assurance that comes with it. Chris and the band, do you want to come up? What we're going to do is um, just love it if everyone could stand. And I'm just going to pray for us uh, before these guys lead us in a song. Jesus, when we consider you, we say that there is no place else that we can go. You are the one who holds the words of eternal life, and we know that this is eternal life, that we know you and the Father who sent you. We give you glory as the builder of the house, and we say that Um, Unless you build the house, the church, then we as the laborers, we truly do labor in vain. Uh, Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we pray, teach us to abide in you. Teach us to spend time with you, to enjoy the fullness of joy that comes in your presence. Show us more of yourself tonight. Amen.